0: Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship weekly podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. My name is Chris. Heidi and I have been married for almost 20 years. We have five children, ranging from driving to diapers, which is a whole lot of fun. Um, I spent some time earlier in life in professional ministry, and now I have the great opportunity to be an assistant principal at a STEAM middle school. Now, STEAM is an acronym. I won't tell you all of it, but the T in STEAM stands for technology, which means I'm supposed to like, do some creative stuff with technology. And so one of the things I'm trying today is I have a link to the slides and some other helpful info that you are free to look at at any point if you want to pop your phones out. You don't have to because it's going to be on the screen as well, but I thought it'd be kind of fun um, and give you a reason like to have your phone out during the sermon because I know that you won't be on Facebook, but instead <laughs> you will be cycling through seeing what's coming next. Um, so that's what that's about. Um, just thought it was a, a creative way to work in uh, technology into the sermon, and I'm also very thankful for John Pinkerton and what he's done to help me out. This week and this morning. So, we were enjoying a fairly quiet and relaxing day at home earlier this week. The kids, they were doing what 21st century kids do. They were building forts. They were playing basketball in the driveway. The little ones were taking naps. And they were FaceTiming with their friends. I was in the living room working on this sermon. And during a break, I noticed that Heidi was watching something on her phone. And so I said, hey, what's that? And before she could respond, I had already leaned over next to her to see the video that she had found, wait for it, on Facebook. The video was a documentary style telling of a story of a lady. Her name was Sonia Singh and her tree changed dolls. As a kid, Sonia enjoyed playing with dolls. And as an adult, after losing her job as a scientist in 2014, she began to experiment with an idea. What if she could make over unwanted and discarded dolls? Now, with a childlike appreciation for playing with dolls, Sonia searched local resale shops hoping to find cheap dolls that nobody wanted. After gathering a few, mostly old brats dolls, she began the process of removing and repainting the dolls' faces, and she enlisted the help of her mom to knit these customized clothing for the dolls. When she had finished her first round of renewed dolls, well, they looked something like this. Now, Sonia's husband began to encourage her to post about the dolls on Facebook and on Tumblr. And according to Sonia herself, she says, Within days, I was getting journalists from all over the world wanting to talk and thousands of messages from people wanting to buy the dolls. I seem to have triggered a global conversation about sustainability and children's toys. In the video that I mentioned earlier that has now been viewed by more than 21 million people on YouTube alone, Sonia mentions that at the time of her first Facebook post, she had about 200 friends. Now, as of Thursday of this week, I know because I checked, she has a little less than 500,000 friends. That's what I said. Wow. Wow. There is definitely something about these once unwanted and discarded dolls that have now been made new that is captivating people all over the world, so much so that Sonia now sells these dolls for between $50 and $200 a piece, depending upon the customization and renewal work needed. As you can tell, I was fascinated by the story about renewed dolls, which ultimately led me to a question, Why? What is it about the renewal work with dolls that I find so intriguing? Which led me to another question. Seasonally, with this being the time of year when people in our culture are most aware of, open to, and taking action toward new things, why is the possibility of new or renewed things so compelling to us? I mean, this week, the water coolers, the talk shows, the social media posts, they've been rife with conversation about New Year's resolutions. In fact, as I was working on this part of the sermon, hashtag resolutions was trending on Twitter. Why? What compels us to work through the ways in which we desire our lives to be different and as a result make annual commitments of improvement? Now, quick aside, there's a growing number of my friends that have resolutions, well, to stop making resolutions. But my hunch is that that decision to no longer make resolutions resulted from too many failed or meaningless resolutions that were made by themselves or by other people and not a rejection of the fundamental and ongoing necessity for renewal. So then, let me bring us back to the driving question. What compels us to work through the ways in which we desire our lives to be different And as a result, make annual commitments of renewal. Now, I would like to submit two potential answers to this question, but as I normally do, I would like to do so with stories. For the first story, we must go back. For the second story, we must go to the future. Do we have enough road to get up to 88? I mean, roads? Oh, wait, where we're going, we don't need roads. your grandparents will tell you about it. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) So first, this. God created the heavens and the earth, all that you see, all that you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless pit, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light and light appeared. God spoke, sky in the middle of the waters, separate water from water. God spoke, separate, water beneath heaven, gather in one place and appear. God spoke, earth, green up, grow all varieties of seed bearing plants, every sort of fruit bearing tree. God spoke, lights come out, shine in heaven's sky. God spoke, swarm ocean with fish and swarm you ocean with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God spoke, earth, regenerate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God spoke and blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for everything that moves on the face of the earth. I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth, every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food, to all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes. I give whatever grows out of the ground to you for food. And God looked over everything he had made, and it was so good, so very good. But as you know, just two chapters later, we find that the story turns so bad, so very bad, so bad, in fact, that when humanity hears the sound of their creator, the sound of the one who blew into the nostrils, the breath of life they hid in the garden, they hid from God and God called to the man, where are you? The man said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And from this point on, brokenness enters into the relationship between the creator and his humanity. A brokenness that the creator did not desire and wants to do away with, but his humanity seems at best to become entangled in it and at worst to choose it from time to time. Now, Now, that trauma has entered into this relationship, his humanity must face the realities brought on by brokenness. And over the years, well, we've kind of given that a shot. I mean, his humanity has attempted to make sense and overcome of this brokenness in various ways. And although there are many, let me give you four that stand out to me as we trek through ways humanity has tried to deal with our own brokenness. One of the ways... Well, it kind of goes like this. Shiny, flashy product. Wouldn't that just look amazing in your home, on your wrist, on your body, on your feet? Wouldn't sitting in front of that thing and typing that just the glow of that, I mean, you would be something else. Not only Would you be something else if you bought our product? But if you gave us your heart, we would turn you from that to that and everyone would love them some you. And we've bought into that narrative, have we not? In various forms, in various fashions. And notice the subtle difference. I will never forget Love me some Dallas Cowboys, but I will never forget the first time I went to the new stadium because as I looked around at the monument of advertisements, not only did I notice there was a whole lot of them, but I also noticed the difference in tone. It was no longer buy our product and be really cool. It was give us your heart and we will make all your dreams come true. And that is a subtle yet powerful distinction in the way advertising is done in our culture. Potential way we've attempted to deal with brokenness. Another potential way, I guess the story kind of goes like this. If we have problems, if we have things that we can't control, if we have bad or negative things come into our life, if we find ourselves having to suffer then there must not be anyone around to truly help us. And taken to its ultimate conclusion, then there must not be a God. And even if there is, He probably doesn't care. So let's just fend for ourselves and make today what we can. Again, just another narrative that permeates itself in our culture as we attempt to deal with the broken situation that we find ourselves in. A third narrative. We're smart. We are sophisticated. We are good looking. Most people like us. We have technological devices where we can communicate with someone on the other face of the earth by pushing a button. If you give us enough time, if you give us enough money, if you allow us enough space for creativity, we don't even need God. We can figure this thing out on our own. We can push a button or download the latest update or whatever technologically we need to do to continue to advance ourselves and our civilization without God's help. And so we buy full throttle into the idea of innovation to the point that we believe it will solve all of humanity's brokenness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for innovation. My school exists out of innovation, But when we put innovation on this type of pedestal, we run into some various um, and serious issues in regards to dealing with our brokenness. Potential narrative number four. The cultural prophet and speaker Carrie Underwood has said it this way. You get back to the future jokes, you get Carrie Underwood, it's going down, man. Just look at my truck bed later and you'll get a great laugh. Um, I don't know the full chorus, but it goes something like this. This is my temporary home, it's not where I belong. I, I'm not a big Carrie Underwood guy, and if you are, like, it's all good. But that song, to me, is a, is a narrative for how we attempt to deal with our own brokenness as humans. And that is, you know what, at the end of the day, like, some glad morning when this life is over, I, I, you know, we're going to fly away and we're going to like, we're going to get out of here. And so the trials and the issues and the sufferings and the problems we encounter at the end of the day, we'll bear them as best we can, but ultimately they don't matter because like we're hitting the eject button. And so this is a narrative that we find in our culture to deal with um, our brokenness between God and humanity too. And as I was reflecting on the message this morning, it, it couldn't help but hit me like we do this in the church as well. Um, we fall sometimes to these traps because we recognize that the brokenness exists, and we're just we're just trying to find ways to deal with it. Now, what intrigues me the most about this conversation is that I cannot find a person or a people group who feel that the world is as it should be. 54 days ago, whether people were saying "I'm with her," or "Make America Great Again," or "Feel the Burn," or "Jesus for President," or oh, never mind. I couldn't find very few people, if any, saying that all was good and well with the world. I've been hanging out with some baseball friends recently. This is an affinity group that we've purposely tried to plug ourselves into to be light and to to share the gospel and, and to make friends. And a couple families in particular I'm thinking of as I'm processing this sermon. One is curious, not following Jesus, but open to some conversation, Another is, I've had just enough church to be inoculated to the gospel, so like I try to be a nice person, but please don't come at me with that. And then another is, I don't want anything to do with that. In fact, not only do I reject that, but I speak vehemently against it. And so just to give you some background as to where I'm coming from with my not following Jesus friends, this is where some of these ways we've attempted to deal with brokenness and intrigue about this conversation comes from. Because what I'm finding is there is something fundamental about the human experience that recognizes that we and the world we live in are broken and therefore in need of renewal. We need to be made new. This brings me to the second story. An earlier follower follower of Jesus was praying in the Spirit and during his prayer he began to see a vision. Well, I mean, I'll let him tell you. He said, I am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the Spirit. And suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. From here, this follower of Jesus goes on to describe all of the amazing things he saw and he heard, including a vision of Jesus himself. In chapter, one, chapter 21 of the vision, he writes, I saw heaven and earth new created. Gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea. I saw holy Jerusalem new created, descending resplendent out of heaven as ready for God as a bride for her husband. I heard a voice from the throne, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood making his home with men and women. They're his people, he's their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued, Look, I'm making everything new, so write it down. Each word dependable and accurate. There's a trajectory connection here between the first story and the second story. Both stories are moving. Both stories are headed somewhere. The first story is headed toward the second story, and the second story is headed toward the fulfillment of the enthroned words, when he said, look, I'm making all things new. You see, we've recognized a fundamental reality of the human experience. We in the world we inhabit, form, and influence, well, it's just not what it should be. However, God has already begun the work of setting it right. In fact, said in a similar fashion to a writer of many New Testament letters, before we recognized the brokenness, God was at work for us. The first story began. Everything was so good, so very good. But brokenness ensued, and everything was so bad, so very bad. Yet, immediately, God began the work of making all things new. And in fact, one day, his work will come to completion as he moves into the neighborhood, making his home with his people. Now, this narrative for me leads to another question. What do we do in the meantime? As we live between these stories, how then shall we live? Well, now that I've finished with the introduction, would you please turn to Mark chapter 1? we're going to be around verse 14 or so. I mean, it's just... Ah, uh, introduction. It's funny. Um, <laughs> we're going to be around Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Because here, we discover, as the writer describes earlier in this chapter, we discover the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, In other words, in the midst of a Roman Empire, and emperor telling a very different story, here we find the story of the real good news, the real Messiah, the real Son of God. The writer goes on to connect Jesus to the prophet Isaiah and provide him with a unique and formidable forerunner, John the Baptizer. After John's, if you think I'm good, check him out, announcement, a Trinitarian baptism, a wilderness temptation stint that included wild animals and angels, and John's arrest, this is when Jesus walks into the Roman-occupied Jewish, Jewish religious Galilean region, proclaiming, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And next, Jesus most amazingly lives as if he believes what he says. Now, after tour guiding you to Genesis and then to Revelation, that was story one and two, why in the world would I take you to Mark 1 verses 14 and 15? Although they had sandals instead of Steph Curry's and they had scrolls instead of iPhones, Jesus enters into the same fundamentally broken world in which we live. I mean, just look at his birth story. Right there, you have enough for a week's worth of episodes on The View. His mom said she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. He was supposed to be the Savior of the world, but yet he was born in a barn. His family had to flee the country because the government was trying to kill him. I mean, this is not the best start for your screenplay about a new king. But because of these struggles and more, Jesus knows what it's like to be human. It's the Hebrews writer that reminds us we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. He knows our predicament because he lived it. So again, why would I take you to Mark 1, verses 14 and 15? Because in these verses, Jesus looks at all in the face. Oppression, coercion, violence, temptation, religiosity, poverty, before reasons I mentioned for how we try to deal with our brokenness and any other ongoing brokenness contained within the human experience, he looks it all in the face and he proclaims, the time has come, God's kingdom is here. Here's the main thing. Jesus is in the business of making all things new. And at just the right time, he promises to do so in us and with us. Jesus is making all things new, and at just the right time, He promises to do so in us and with us. In these verses, Jesus is not waiting until the culmination of the play. No, in fact, He is adamantly bringing the awaiting culmination into the present. He is bringing the future back to the present to deal with the brokenness of the past. Now, now we've come full circle, and I must ask once again, What compels us to work through the ways in which we desire our lives to be different and as a result make annual commitments of improvement? There's something within us. There is something fundamental to life as a human that is aware that things are not as they should be. However, this does not stop at awareness. This includes a compulsion to do something about it to make things right, to make things new. However, as the four competing narratives I mentioned earlier reveal to us, we cannot do this on our own. May our eyes be opened to see that in and through Jesus, God has been working to make things new all along. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. I mean, if God is like Jesus, then we can trust that his, where are you, in the garden, it's being asked of us today too. Once we were unwanted and discarded dolls, but before we recognized our own worth, in fact, before we even wanted to be rescued from the resale shop, tree change was underway. I know it's been a bit since we've talked about Sonia and her renewed dolls, but that's the name of her company, Tree Change Dolls. According to her website, a tree change is a term in Australia that means moving from the city to the country for a more relaxed and down-to-earth lifestyle. The descriptor fits her vision of recreating dolls to look more like the people who would actually be playing with them. As confirmation of his Galilean announcement, Jesus moved from the city of Jerusalem to the country hill of execution, taking all the brokenness and evil that the powers, principalities, and adversary could throw at him. And when it was all said and done, God by His Spirit made him new. This first fruits, this foretaste of the future, this can begin in us. Repent and believe the good news because Jesus is in the business of making all things new. And today is the right time for him to fulfill his promise of doing so in us and with us. It's amazing. She takes the doll and she rubs nail polish remover on the doll's face. And the doll has no face. And then she starts to creatively craft and she draws circles for the eyes, she reorients the nose. She paints on the lips. Mom takes the, the the needle. I don't know what they are, but Mom takes the things. <laughs> she does not go to knitareallycooloutfit.com. She like knits the thing, and and begins crafting beautiful, handmade, customized clothing for the dolls. The transformation is amazing, and it is it is such a metaphor for what God is already up to. So as we come together in this place today, is there not a better time or place or people group to be with who might enter into the transformation that's already underway? That's the beauty. God didn't wait for us. God got to work immediately right there in the garden And He hasn't stopped. So you're invited to join that story. Because I find that story to be the compelling story. It doesn't seek to find identity in things. It doesn't seek to disregard what's happening in the world. It doesn't seek to escape what's happening in the world. But instead, He puts on flesh He moves into the neighborhood and He joins us in the restorative work of making all things new. And the beauty is we have the chance to do that in our own spheres of influence. So that's why we hang out with our baseball friends. And that's why we invite strangers into our home. And that's why... We encourage our kids to speak life and light into their friends at school. And that's why we we try to be honest with our struggles because we want to invite those that God has put into our lives into His story of making all things new. Uh, Worship and prayer teams, please come on up. Because as Todd mentioned earlier, This demands a response. If God is for us, and if God isn't turned off by our brokenness, but instead enters in, a response is needed. Stand if you would. This morning, our response includes surrender to the parts of us that Jesus wants to make new, a willingness to participate with Him in the work of renewal around us, and as we later go from this place, consistently asking Him, what's next? In me? In us? And out there? What's next? Because I want my response to be yes. Whatever is next whatever road that takes us down, whomever we encounter, I want that response to be yes. I want our response to be yes. Whether he sends us across Woodway, across Trail Lake, across the city, whether he sends us across the country, or right now as my daughter fundraises to go to the other side of the world this summer he goes with us he's already there and so we say yes because we can trust that his where are you is coming nowhere from nowhere but his love don't leave this morning without responding to what he has for you today receiving and joining with him in making all things new so prayer is available pray with each other let's spend some time responding to our great god and what he's already been up to